At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through this three-week series, we're turning to the biblical book of Isaiah to discover how God's holiness, forgiveness, and love compel us to share Him with others. We'll come face-to-face with whatever's keeping us from answering God's call as Isaiah did. Send me. Hey, I want to add my welcome to that of Pastor EJ's and the rest of the team. And I just want to commend you for being here. I recognize that any Sunday is, uh, is not a given that we make it to the house of the Lord. For some of you, it may have been an even harder press to get here. But praise God, you made it. And how many are grateful to be in the house of the Lord today? How many are grateful to be in the house of the Lord today? So my encouragement to you this morning is don't miss the moment. God has something in store for you. He wouldn't allow you to get this close uh, to his presence, to his word, and to leave you empty-handed. I believe there's something today that God wants to speak to all of our hearts. Quickly, though, before I go into our message, uh, we're a family here at Woodside. And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of one of the families that comprises our bigger family, and that is uh, the Jelenic family. Many of you who have been a part of Woodside, uh, Troy, know that over the past couple of weeks, we've been asking you to pray particularly for Pastor John Jelenic, one of our executive pastors here who a few weeks ago uh, discovered and was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Unexpectedly, uh, we were praying for the surgery. And praise God, through the prayers of the saints, they have been so encouraged. The surgery went well, as I shared with you last week. But now as we transition from surgical phase to treatment phase, let's continue to pray. Let's pray that God would grant them supernatural peace, as we all need when we go through any type of medical journey like they're on. Pray that God would also bless the tremendous medical team that they've been given. When we talked yesterday, they bragged on the medical team that God had blessed them with and surrounded them with. How many thank God for those who care for our bodies, who serve in that capacity? Amen. So grateful for them. And then thirdly, pray that Pastor John's body responds well to the treatments that he's going to be receiving in the days to come. And uh, as periodically as there are more updates, I'll give those to you. But uh, again, from the bottom of my heart to yours, thank you for the overwhelming love that has been expressed for one of our pastors. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention their life group. They're kind of small group. And in many ways, it's that group that's been caring deep for them in a more intimate way. And so I just want to say thanks to all who are part of Jelenic's small group. But talking about them is just a reminder to me of the fact that we all are going through our own journeys in life, our own challenges in life. So please take seriously Pastor EJ's invitation to fill out a prayer card. Your prayer card may look like this, or maybe it's a different looking prayer card, but all of you should have received prayer cards today. And if you did not, just stop at our Connect desk. And I want you to get it. And I want you to fill it out because throughout this week, we want to pray for you. We serve a big God. And I don't care what you're going through on a personal, family, or individual basis. There is nothing that we're facing that's bigger than our great God. How many believe that? How many believe the words we just sang? That there is no other name 
but the name of Jesus, amen? So please, fill out the card, turn it in at our Connect desk or to one of our leaders as you exit, and I promise you, this week we will be praying for you and your family. With that being said, let's go into the Word of God. We've been in Isaiah chapter 6 in a little series, kind of a mini-series, if you will, called Send Me. And when we were here last week, I tried my best to describe the indescribable. That's really the job of the preacher every week, to describe the indescribable glory and greatness of God. Isaiah was a prophet of God who lived during uh, a time, during the 8th century BC, during the time where Israel was far from God. Uh, a nation that God had chosen with a special purpose to be his witness and ambassadors to the world, but they had broken covenant with God. And so Isaiah had the ministry of letting them know God's displeasure, but also the opportunity of letting them know that mercy was available to them. You see, all of this is what God does. He is a God who loves us and he communicates to us both his displeasure, but also his great willingness to forgive us. It's been said, and I believe it's true, that the number one uh, greatest problem that man faces, the number one greatest blessing that man has is both the same, and that's the goodness of God. Because he is good, he can't overlook sin. We would never call a judge who sat on the bench good if they just overlook crime and let criminals get off. That wouldn't be a good judge. God is a good judge. He does see our sin. And he does promise for those who refuse to repent or turn away judgment for that. But he also is good, meaning that he is gracious and he provides a way of escape. And we're going to read about that today in the life of one man. Again, his name is Isaiah. Let me read the text if you don't mind. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, we'll start. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house uh, was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Verse number eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. What, what we're seeing here in Isaiah's life is him trying to use words as effectively and efficiently as he possibly can to describe the greatest worship scene that you and I could ever imagine. Imagine walking into the, uh, the doorway, if you will, the threshold of the worship center, and what you see is not a band up front, not just a group of human singers, but you see the Lord. 
He is sitting on his throne. He is high and lifted up. And this is no smoke machine for effect. This is the presence of God who the Bible describes as an all-consuming fire. You know, many of us think in our minds that we will want to see God. But if you think about it deeply, I think as we read Isaiah, we recognize that this desire, this curiosity to want to see God is something that should be tempered by the reality of what that moment might feel in our souls and to our hearts. Not only did he see God high and lifted up, his glory filling the temple, the smoke of the altar, but he also saw these burning ones flying over top. These angels, as we would call them, crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy. Separated, altogether different. That God is separated from sin. He is light from beginning to end. He is pure throughout. And as Isaiah stood there, what do you think is going through his mind? Let me ask a different question. What goes through your mind as you read this? Well, one of the things that I believe the text begs us to ask of ourselves is, what is our greatest need? Think about it for a moment. What's your greatest need right now? Not just you, but humanity. What is our greatest need? Now, I'm sure that any of us could create a long laundry list of needs. How many parents out there say, I need my kids to cooperate? How many spouses out there say, I need my spouse to treat me better? Now, if you're here with them, just look straight ahead. They won't know it's you. How many people out there say, I need the economy to improve, or I need political change? We can list a whole litany of needs, but what is our greatest need? I think Isaiah saw it in that moment. His greatest need was forgiveness. His soul was so overwhelmed by the holiness of God that he saw this glorious worship experience and he couldn't even participate. He couldn't even lift his eyes to look at the holiness of God. Couldn't open his mouth to utter the name of God, to give him praise because he recognized his deep need for forgiveness. Have you recognized that? Have you recognized that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that it's our sin that separates us from God, and that the greatest need of humanity is forgiveness. Why? So that we can have restored relationship with God. Because if you have not figured it out yet, God is who you need. If God is for you, who can be against you? God is who you need on your side. When God shows up, he never shows up empty-handed. He always shows up with the peace we need, the grace we need, the mercy we need, the wisdom we need. You need God, and therein is the rub. The problem of it all is that our sins separate us from a holy God. Again, he is good, and he is good. His goodness separates him from sin. And so how do we reconcile that? We need forgiveness. I love this quote. One pastor put it this way. If our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent us a scientist. 
If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been for pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. How many believe that? How many agree with that? That our greatest need is not for a better economist. Our greatest need is not for more improved politicians. Would be nice, but not our greatest need. Our greatest need is not that we need a new boss or a new company to work for. Because no matter where you live or where you work, you can't get away from you. Wherever you go, there you are. And the fact of the matter is, is that we can't get away from our failures. We can't get away from our mistakes. It's as if standing in the presence of God is a reminder of our fallenness. And maybe for some, that's what's kept you from God. Maybe for some, what's kept you from God is the sense that when you're in an environment like this or reading a book like this, it exposes the man that you aren't the woman that you wish you were. And I wouldn't want to be around that either if that was all of the story. If the sum total of it all was a guilt trip, this cosmic guilt trip, then I wouldn't want to be here either. But I thank God that the story does not stop in verse number five. As we go on, we see these words in verse number five. And I said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now, I gotta just say something right here. Depending on the translation you have, there are different renderings of this. Maybe he says in your translation, I am lost. In another translation, he says, I am ruined. In another translation, he says, I am undone. All meaning the same thing, that he looked at himself and said that I am utterly unworthy to be here right now. And why? It's because I see clearly now how sinful my lips are. Have you seen that? Have you seen the extent of your sin? You know, there's two things as I read this text that I think are vastly underappreciated. One is the greatness of God, and two is the greatness of our sin. We underappreciate both. We see God as kind of common. I'll never forget one time seeing a young man years ago wear a hat that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And I felt like saying, no, he ain't. No, he's your savior, he is Lord, and though he invites us into his presence and he loves us, we should never treat him as common. King of kings, Lord of lords, worthy of all our praise. How many know that his name is greater than every name? If you have that hat, you may want to return it. But the other thing I think we vastly underappreciate is how sinful I am. The Bible says that one day God looked at man and he lamented and says their thoughts are continuously sinful. That we're constantly self-centered. That in our motivation, we're constantly looking for 
attention for ourselves, constantly looking for praise and glory for ourselves, that this self-centeredness drives me and you to do all types of selfish things like greed and lust and all of these things to satisfy myself. Isn't it interesting that you can take a group picture with 10 or 15 people in it and as soon as you see the photo, who do you look for in it? You. The determination of whether or not the photo is good or not is not how everybody else looks, how you look. Let's retake the whole thing, restage it all. Line up all the grandkids, all of the friends, because I didn't look well or I blinked. We are self-centered. This is not just a problem for small children. This is an adult problem, a universal problem, a cosmic problem. And that sinfulness leads to corruption. That self-centeredness leads to greed. It leads to betrayal. It leads to us mistreating one another, devaluing one another, and it leads to us stealing glory from a God who refuses to share his glory. Isaiah got a glimpse of God and he got a glimpse of himself at the same time. And you may say, well, I'll never experience what Isaiah experienced. I'll never see that type of glory. But let's slow down just a moment Because I believe that when we are in worship, we get glimpses of glory. I believe that as we pray, we get glimpses of glory. And I believe that as we open up the inerrant, infallible, authoritative, inspired word of the living God, we get a glimpse of the glory that Isaiah saw. And if you have been reading your Bibles well, If you have been reading passages like this, well, then like Isaiah, you and I can get a glimpse of God and a glimpse of ourselves. But the story, as I said earlier, does not end in verse number five. But in verse number six, he goes on to say, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That word atoned is not a word that we use in our modern vernacular quite often. It simply means forgiveness or forgiven. Your sin has been forgiven. Your guilt is gone. Man, there are no better words for somebody who has blown it than to hear someone else say, I forgive you that not only do I forgive you, the guilt is gone. You don't even have to feel guilty anymore. Not only do I forgive you, but I restore you back into relationship with me. Not only do I forgive you, but I'm gonna show you favor and mercy. If you've ever blown it, if you've ever made a mistake, even now, many of you that are sitting here today are longing for someone to say, I forgive you. I know you messed up. I know you may feel like you don't deserve it, but I forgive you. Well, if you believe, like I believe, that all sin is first an affront to a holy God, then how much more do we need to him, hear him say, I forgive you? And watch what happens. Isaiah sees the king, 
the real king, not Uzziah. That, that guy is dead. What God wants us to know is there's a power above earthly power. If you think that ultimate power resides in Washington, D.C., then you're an idolater and you've misplaced your worship. Ultimate power resides in heaven, heaven's throne, not King Uzziah's throne. So he gets a glimpse of the real king and he says, I am totally undone. And notice what God's response is. I'm going to send a messenger who will come on my behalf to atone for your sin. This, my friends, is a foreshadowing. A foreshadowing of what would happen for us, not externally or cosmetically, but what would happen in our hearts. You see, Isaiah in this moment doesn't receive ultimate forgiveness, but he does receive sufficient forgiveness to be God's messenger. We'll get to that in a moment. But this, my friends, like many other things in our Old Testament scriptures, is a foreshadowing of the Savior who is to come. Keep your fingers here in Isaiah for just a moment and turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And when you're turning there, say a big amen when you get there. Some of you turn really fast and you got there before me. But look at verse 21, if you will. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 21 reads as this. For our sake, he, referring to God the Father, made him, referring to God the Son, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It would take us eternity for our brains to fully fathom what that scripture just said. That God sent his Son to become sin who committed no sin. He took on sin for us. Our sin was laid on him. This is the gospel, friends, that we had all the sin debt. We had committed all the sin and all the wrong, but on the cross, God the Father lays our sins on the Son. He, he dies for our sin, raises again, and transforms, for those who put their faith and trust in him, his righteousness onto us. How many think that's a sweet deal? How many think that's a real, real good deal? Now here's my question for you. Have you received his forgiveness? Have you received it? For many of us, maybe the most difficult thing to receive is his forgiveness. How many struggle with receiving, right? Much easier for you to serve, right? Much easier for you to uh, buy a meal for someone than for somebody to have to buy a meal for you. Much easier for you to help someone out than to receive help. For many of us, we don't recognize this huge barrier to salvation is not our sin because God has always had an answer for that. As great as sin is, how many believe God is greater? How many know he's greater? But the bigger barrier is our unwillingness to humble ourselves and to simply receive forgiveness. And that's what it does require. It requires 
humility. It requires us to say, I have need of something. It's hard for Chris Brooks. My wife trying to give me directions. I don't need it. <laughs> After all, honey, those parts were extra parts. They didn't even need to be used in the assembly of this thing. Somebody trying to give me advice, I don't really need it. I can make it on my own. That maybe is the greatest fallacy of humanity that we can make it on our own. We can't make it on our own. If we needed entertainment, he would have sent an entertainer. If we needed technology, he would have sent a scientist. If we needed information, he would have sent an educator, but we need forgiveness. So he sent a savior and that savior stands with wide open arms saying, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, and who in here is not weary? Who is not weary with not just the world, but themselves? Who is not weary with their own flaws and their own mistakes and their own misconceptions and their own weaknesses and their own insecurities? All of us, if we are honest, we're not just weary with everyone else, we're weary with ourselves. And in many ways, this is what prevents us from being able to love others properly. It's because we know we are undone. But where do we go for help? God sent a messenger on his behalf to Isaiah who took a coal from his presence to touch the lips of this man. What we need is the presence of God. And the only one who can give us that is Jesus. And so another question emerges is that if you have received forgiveness, how has that reshaped your life? It totally altered Isaiah. I don't know what his plans were before this moment, but they all changed. I don't know what was on his agenda, his schedule before this moment, but, but that forgiveness he received, it, it totally altered his life plan, altered his trajectory. It prepared him for a mission and a purpose. Has forgiveness reshaped you? One of the ways you can measure whether or not forgiveness has reshaped you is not only how you receive it, but how you give it. Because if forgiveness has reshaped my heart and yours, we'll say things like, freely we have received, so freely we should give. You know, generosity is something we talk about here at this church a lot. We want to be known as a radically generous people. I pray that that's your desire, that you be known as a radically generous person. One of the things my wife and I were talking about last night, we prayed about uh, before we went to bed. And even this morning is, Lord, show us people we can be generous to, show us ways we can be generous. I want that for my family. I want that for me. I want that for you. But here's the reality, is that the greatest generosity we can show is not sh just sharing our material possessions, that's a part of it, but the greatest generosity we can show is forgiveness to others who are longing to hear us say to them, I forgive you. And the more you see God, the more 
It should awaken you to your need of forgiveness and the forgiveness that God wants to show others through you. So what happens when Isaiah receives this forgiveness? Well, he then wants to share it. And that's what should happen with us. God calls us to share his forgiveness with the world. Look at verse number eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Send for what? Send into the world on his behalf. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, here I am, send me. Who better to take to the world the message that sin can be forgiven than a man whose sins were forgiven? Isaiah had had his sin atoned for, and so God now says to him, I have a message for a nation, a nation called Israel, who has sinned against me. And I want to do for them, Isaiah, what I have done for you, so will you go for me? And friends, here's my question to you. Who better to go to your family, your friends, your neighbors, and the world than those who have been forgiven? Who better to reach our community with the message of forgiveness than we who have been forgiven? What God is saying to us is what he said to Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for me? How many by the show of hands say, Lord, I'll tell others of your forgiveness. I'll tell others that sin can be forgiven in Jesus. I'll tell others where mercy and grace can be found. You see, forgiveness never sits still. It's always on the move. Forgiveness is always on the move in our lives and when we have received it through us in the lives of others. I want to look at one last passage. Go back to that 2 Corinthians 5, if you will. And let's start this time in verse number 17. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. The Apostle Paul writing here, it reads as this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Goes on to say, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Those are powerful words, friends, that we are his ambassadors. Maybe you didn't know that you held that position or that title in the kingdom of God, but you do. We are his ambassadors, and I love what Paul says with the most urgent of words, and if we read the original language, we would see it. Sometimes the English doesn't do it full justice. We implore you. We, in the old King James, we beseech you. 
In modern day vernacular, it would say, we beg of you, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Find the forgiveness that your heart is looking for in God. That's what he wants you and I to do. It's to literally make the appeal. To go to people on his behalf and to say, I know where forgiveness can be found. One person called evangelism simply the act of one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. I know where to find food. And how many know that Jesus is the bread of life? Amen? One final quote, it comes from a blog written by an atheist a few years back. It's entitled, An Atheist's Take on the Virtue of Forgiveness. He goes on to say this, I am not a fan of Christianity. For many years, I have been what some might call a militant atheist, the type who is more likely to catalog the pitfalls of faith than to highlight the benefits. But more and more, I am enamored with one of the elements of Christianity that I consider its most striking and most laudable feature, forgiveness. Here's an atheist who says, I don't like the whole Christianity thing, but there's one thing I can't get away from. One thing that haunts me, one thing that I am enamored by, that is forgiveness. Why? Because our greatest need is forgiveness. And it is only found in Christ. Have you received it? And are you sharing it with a world whose souls are hungry to receive the forgiveness of God? If today you have not received the forgiveness of God, I urge you, I plead with you, don't get this close to the forgiveness that your heart longs for and miss it. Today we're going to take communion. This is something that believers who have put their faith in Christ can participate in. I want you to be able to participate in that. But it starts with you being humble enough to say, I need forgiveness. And if that's you, after we end today, I want you to come to the front because there will be leaders here to pray with you or stop at our connect desk and say, I'd like to talk to somebody more about these things. But if you have received forgiveness from God, then share it with the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give to us what our souls need most. Thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus. Lord, may we tell the world until all have heard, until Christ returns. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.